baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and it's time for our weekly chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves. And to help me break down all those stories, I'll have Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution jumping on to really discuss what was a very eventful last week for the Braves. We had a little bit of everything, some of it good, some of it not so good. We'll get into all the highs and the lows, and can't get much higher right now than what Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing. So not only is he leading off for the Braves' order, He's going to be leading off in this podcast as well. We've got a lot to say about the start to the season for Ronald Acuna Jr. that has him trending in the very early days of this year as perhaps the National League's most valuable player, which is not a stretch to say after seeing what he's done over the past week or so. We'll get to that. We'll get to some of the unfun news, the injuries, and other things that are ailing the Braves in the early going as well. Before we do, though, I want to remind you, you can subscribe to From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also find the show on YouTube. If you want to follow along on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can find the show at From the Diamond underscore. On Instagram, I'm also at Grant McCauley there. The show is at From the Diamond with no underscore. And if you want to keep up with all the videos, the articles, the podcast, everything that I have to offer for you, FromTheDiamond.com is the place to do that. So I want to welcome Gabe Burns back to the show. As always, you can follow his work on Twitter at AJC. He, of course, covers the Atlanta Braves for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, Gabe, it's been a very eventful seven or so days for the Atlanta Braves since the last time we got to sit down and talk. And we got an awful lot to get through, including some injury news to close out the week as the Braves hit the road again. For sure. I can't remember a homestand that was that eventful, really, since I've been doing this. I've been here since... <laughs> I think around June of 17, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I don't really remember a, such an action-packed homestand. So, yeah, you're right, plenty to get into, and it's crazy. We're already two weeks into this thing. You know, it was the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, it felt like, for the Braves throughout that homestand. And they did end it on a good note by avoiding a sweep at the hands of the Miami Marlins. Of course, there were some ups and downs in that Phillies series, which by and large was a pretty good one for the Braves. But We'll get into what Major League Baseball and Replay had to say about how good the Braves series against the Phillies could have been as we play a little bit of what if. But we're going to save that for a little bit later. And I want to start with, I think, the biggest news and the best news for Braves country right now and for the Atlanta Braves. And uh, anybody that has had the privilege to watch them play this year, which has not been, I would say, the vintage 2020 offense that we had come to expect I guess in last year's shortened season but there are signs that perhaps this offense is going to be a pretty darn good one and if you want a sign of how good the Braves can be when things are going right I think Ronald Acuna Jr. is a pretty good one he sits atop the Braves order and he cannot be stopped right now quite simply he's leading MLB in wins above replacement he's producing at a Mike Trout like level so far on the young season and his homestand was the stuff of legend I think he'd be winning player of the week last week 
but Joe Musgrove did a little bit of something for the San Diego Padres and uh, was able to take that honor. But Gabe, I'll just throw it out there in this way. It's hard to believe it, hard to wrap my head around it, but Acuna may actually be getting better and better right before our eyes. No question. Uh, you're seeing a more disciplined hitter, a more selective hitter. He's just, Brian Snicker, he's talking about how how much he's matured and how he just keeps growing. And that's the crazy thing is really, you look back on when he first came up, it was raw talent. Mm-hmm. And now you're just seeing him really just round into shape. As of us talking, you were talking before they opened their Cub series, 13 games in, he has been the best player in baseball. Yeah. And I don't want to say it's not even close because I, you know, I'd have to sit down and look at numbers, but it feels like it's not even close because this guy has just been on another level. He's carrying this offense at times when they fell behind five to nothing the other night, he almost single-handedly brought them back. Yep. It's really, I mean, it's really like to use a basketball comparison. I mean, it's a Michael Jordan type thing right now, which is really insane to say in baseball and, Obviously, the Braves have not been getting their desired results, and I had a couple people tweet at me saying, this, this is like what the Angels fans feel like with Trout. <laughs> I kind of found that to be pretty funny because yeah, I guess maybe. it kind of is. Uh, yeah, uh, this team is obviously going to be all right. They're going to get going, but just based on where they are, I mean, it's really a remarkable start to the season for him. Um, it's an MVP-level start. No doubt. This is a very long season, so we'll see how he keeps going. But if it's anything – I mean, I don't think he's going to hit 500 all year, but um, he's certainly looking like he's going to be in the thick of this MVP mix. And, I mean, what what a joy to watch. He's truly just, you know, baseball is really looking for these guys to market, and you want to find these guys who you can just turn the TV on. You don't want to leave the room when they're hitting. And Acuna, you know, he embodies that. Yeah, he's that guy right now, no question about it. And I want to throw a whole bunch of numbers about Ronald Acuna Jr. out there because I want to – both paint the picture of what he's done as of the end of the Braves' recent homestand, and then also paint the picture of what he's done basically in his young career. And if you look across the line on Ronald Acuna Jr.'s baseball reference page coming into Friday's opener against the Chicago Cubs, he is leading the National League in slugging percentage, in OPS, in OPS+, in total bases. He's the major league leader in home runs. He's leading the NL and RBI. He's leading the NL in doubles. He's leading Major League Baseball in hits and runs scored as well. This is what Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing, all while hitting a lusty 442 on top of that, which amazingly does not lead all of baseball right now. But again, it's early. It's 13 games, but this may be the best 13 games of Ronald Acuna Jr.'s career in terms of a hot streak for him. And we've seen him get on some pretty good benders when it comes to just destroying opposing pitching. But what he did, especially on that homestand, considering that really the first three or four games of Ronald's season, it was relatively quiet. He wasn't doing much, but the last eight or nine games have been absolutely ludicrous. And if he is going to continue playing like this, the Braves are going to be pretty happy about what they're getting out of him at the top of that order. And they've also done a little bit of lineup management that we'll get to about maybe tapping into some things that were working in 2020 as well. But Ronald Acuna Jr. has been doing everything you could possibly ask him to do. Yesterday, I don't know if you saw this, but I tweeted out, what Ronald Acuna Jr. is averaging over 162 games played. His seasonal averages, he's played parts of four seasons now with this year. He's played 326 games, which is just a couple more than two full 162-game seasons. And his averages as of right now, per 162, 44 homers, 103 runs knocked in, 32 steals, 133 runs scored, and he's OPSing 933. He's about a six and a half F war player per 162. Gabe, by the age of 23, 
I don't know that I was doing anything in life as well as Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing the game of baseball. No, I certainly wasn't. Um, that's, I mean, that's incredible. His start to the season is the best run of his career, and that's really saying something. Yeah. And also, uh, it is worth mentioning, too, like we saw Chipper and how he performed against the Mets. We've seen Freddie with his success against the Mets and the Phillies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. What Acuna does to the Marlins, yeah. and I, I, you know, I don't know if it goes back to the Urania stuff or whatever, but for whatever reason, he just absolutely owns the Marlins. And, uh, I can't imagine that they're happy about having to face him now for at a least decade. another decade. Lord, more. <laughs> yeah, more probably. But, uh, wow, I mean, it was his 20th homer against the Marlins. Correct. And, again, he's a 23-year-old. He's got 20 home runs against the Marlins. I mean, he just destroys this team. And, and obviously, they're a team that's undergoing a rebuild, and they're trying to find their own way to uh, sustainable success. And this guy, you know, he's done it to him in the playoffs now, too, even. So it's pretty special what he's doing against Miami as well. Yeah, it's been ridiculous to watch how he has just worn out the Marlins, and he's kind of been that linchpin, if you want to call it that, in the rivalry between those two clubs. It all seems to kind of get set off with how the Marlins have dealt with him, both uh, hitting him with pitches, which I don't think you or I or anybody listening out there thinks is a coincidence or just a happy accident for the Marlins that, oh, well, this guy's wearing us out. Oh, what if one just gets a little bit uh, high and tight? No, I think that there's a lot of thought that went into the high and tight pitches on Ronald Acuna, and I'm sure that he takes a great deal of pleasure out of uh, tormenting the Marlins game in and game out because he's certainly done it in his young career. Again, 20 homers in 48 games against that club. He's knocked in one run per game as well, and he's got an OPS approaching 1150. I think that'll play in just about any league, and I think that kind of one of the running jokes was, I know I saw Mark Bowman posted it as part of his recap of that series, is teammates are now wondering when Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to get called up to the next league. I don't know what that league is, but I'm sure that Ronald could do a pretty good job there. Yeah, no, no question. Everyone, that was uh, Ian Anderson who said that. And it, it, <laughs> it's like, I know Pablo said he's from another planet. Yeah. All the adjectives being used, everyone is just really amazed at, at yeah. what he's doing. And, and these aren't platitudes either. The numbers are certainly backing it up. And, you know, we could sit here and do an entire podcast on what Ronald Acuna Jr. has done over the last week since you and I sat here, you know, discussing the first week of the season for the Braves. But, you know, he's. I think he's the headliner story, of course, for Atlanta and what's been a very frustrating start to the season. And a lot of that, I think, had to do with the fact that Ronald Acuna Jr. has pretty much been carrying the Braves, as you mentioned, almost single-handedly throughout the last homestand, especially in some of the games that he's had. You really needed to count on Ronald. But Brian Snitker has been quick to point out, look, we can't look to him every single time. Some of these other guys are going to get going. And I do believe that track record-wise, you have to feel pretty good about the lineup the Braves have. At least that one through six in the order is a pretty good group that's going to score some runs this year. But it didn't take long for Brian Snitker to switch around some of the pieces in that lineup back to the places they were in 2020. you got Freddie Freeman and Marcelo Zuna going back to the two and three spots. Ozzie Albies dropping back down into the middle of the order. Gabe, we kind of touched on that a little bit last week. I felt like maybe you wait a couple, three weeks and – see if some of these guys get going. But for Snit, I guess he just felt like, look, there was a thing last year that worked. We tried something new. I don't blame him for trying it, but why not go back to the tried and true formula and see if that it fixes the ails of the Braves offense, which were many over the first couple of weeks for people not named Acuna. I applaud him for it. You know, I, I'm with you. I'm surprised that it happened so soon. And I wouldn't have minded if he waited, but I do applaud just taking action. The team just kind of la- – it wasn't it really itself. Um, I think we all felt that way, and mm-hmm. that's not really a big deal. Again, it's super early. 
you don't want to overreact to any of this stuff, but maybe just to see if you can get a spark. It's worked. It's pretty much worked for him every time he's done it. Um, every lineup change is that's one thing that Snip deserves all the credit in the world for is about every time he's changed his lineup. I mean, it has brought immediate success. And I mean, it did the other night. They just, I mean, they scored eight runs. They had 11 hits. The Marlins had 14 runs, you know? Yeah. I doubt this will be the last iteration of the lineup we see, obviously. Um, it'll change again. But my biggest takeaway there was that Snip felt that it was already through whatever that was, 10, 11 games, that there needed to be a change there. So we'll see how this goes. Like you said, these guys, their numbers, uh, you know, Marcelo Zuna is not going to hit, what is it, 178? Yeah, I think he might be year, up to 200 you know. now. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, he might or around there. And then I know Travis Darno is hitting 231. And, you know, Freddie's hitting around two. Like, I mean, these guys are obviously, this is not who they are. So, but maybe Snit just saw this as a way that maybe things just click and it just flows better. And, you know, uh, I'm sure they'll probably be changing things again down the road here, but the one thing we know won't change is Ronald Acuna is staying at leadoff. Yeah, I think that's the one thing you don't want to mess with, and I said I thought Ozuna might be back up toward 200, but he didn't do much in that last game of that Marlins series, so he dropped back down 163, the average for Ozuna thus far, one extra base hit. It was the homer in that Marlins series as well. This is the guy that I think is going to get going. It's just not happening right now, and it hasn't been happening for a lot of the different hitters in the Braves order, but we always have these talks, I feel like, especially online, where people are very quick to jump to conclusions. I don't know if you've noticed this or not about the uh, the social media <laughs> phenomenon following the team, but you know, people want answers yeah. immediately, and you want change, and you want action, and you want things to get better, and I don't blame anybody for that. Everybody would like to see better baseball being played by the Atlanta Braves. It's a whole lot more fun to talk about a winner than talk about a team that's having a lot of frustrating losses, and the Braves have, but I feel like there's a lot of unlucky that's been baked into the early results for the Braves offensively this year. And it really seemed to start from day one in that Phillies series where there was a trend of hitting the ball hard right at somebody, just not having a lot of luck on balls in play. And it is a long grind through a season. These things tend to work themselves out. But that luck on batted balls has been remarkably bad. While opponents, meanwhile, seem to be living right against the Braves pitching staff night in and night out. But I went into Baseball Savant to figure out exactly where the Braves were when it came to hard-hit contact. They're leading Major League Baseball with a 45.7% hard-hit percentage. And they're also tops in Major League Baseball with an exit velocity of 91 miles per hour. That's the team's average exit velocity. Their top five in barrel percentage. And their expected batting average, meanwhile, would be in the top ten at ninth. Their actual batting average down at 221 as a team is in the bottom seven of Major League Baseball. But oddly enough, they're in a three-way tie for the Major League lead in home runs. So I guess I put all that out there, that big pile of statistics to say it's a small sample size. It is early, but some of the trends that we see in those columns make me feel good about when the Braves do get going. They are hitting the ball hard, and eventually that seems to even itself out over the course of 162 games, does it not? Yeah, it's a great indicator. You know, you look at last year, I don't think anyone expected Ozuna or Darno to have, you know, the numbers that they posted during the 60-game season. But, you know, <laughs> they're hard hit. For, I mean, that's what kind of indicated that this, you know, that they could sustain some success. And, and we're going to see that again. Like, again, like you said, social media, we're all going to react. And especially when you are up close and you're watching the game every day. I think it's really easier to react that way. Whereas if you're more of a casual fan, I feel like maybe you wouldn't even react as strong. You see, oh, you know, the Braves are 5-8, and eight, whatever, slow start, and you just kind of 
let's just give it time. And whereas I think even diehards, you know, you're watching every single game, you're seeing this team, you know, get screwed on these soft hits here. Now that Philly series obviously was very frustrating. And then this team is smoking balls right at people mm-hmm. and, and you're, you're up close and that even makes it even more frustrating, I think. But again, we're looking at a team that has 149, 148 games to go here. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, it, things are going to level out. This is – I continue to look at this, and you can nitpick the roster. It is sure. not a perfect roster, and we will get more into that. Yep. And, obviously, injuries play a role. But there is just far too much talent here for this team to just hover below 500 throughout the year. And it's not even – my advice to any fan would be – and you probably already feel this way, especially if you're listening to – a insightful podcast like this one. of course it's just not to not to overreact <laughs> right. to this type of sample size and just give this 50 games i mean give this a lot of time to just play out and let's see where this team is because you know i did some research yesterday and it's like the 2018 dodgers who won 92 games the team that wound up knocking the braves out in the playoffs mm-hmm. they started i believe it was four and nine right so because i thought if the braves obviously if they had lost yesterday they would have started four and nine uh, a year later, the Dodgers won 106 games. Well, they started eight and eight and had a six-game losing streak. They were swept by the Cardinals. I remember that. Somebody else early in the season. So, uh, breathe. You know, like that team wound up winning 106 games. Yeah. I'm not saying that this Braves team is going to wind up sure. winning 100 games. I think that's going to be a hard thing to do, especially in this division. Mm-hmm. But again, th- this thing is going to be fine. It's, it, we got a long way to go here. It, I think it's when you look at the all the statistical columns and what Ronald Acuna Jr. notwithstanding, but you look at all of them and they're just not numbers that you would come to expect from the majority of the Braves' offense. And then, of course, you look at games where, as you mentioned, they shuffled the lineup the other night, scored eight runs, but they lost fourteen to eight. So the pitching obviously had a bad night. They're going to have some more bad nights. That's going to happen throughout the course of the season as well. And we'll talk a little bit about the pitching staff here in a moment. But you know, I'm with you, and just from maybe being a kind of a traditional viewer of baseball throughout my life. But I've always felt like Memorial Day is that first time I even look at the standings and think, okay, where are we at right now? What's going right? What's going wrong? You know, where are the glaring holes? Because as you get into that Memorial Day level, you get into those dog days of summer, you approach the all-star break, the trade deadline. I mean, there's a certain points, I guess, that I like to check off on my journey to assess exactly where the club is. So sitting here in the middle of April, even with a less than stellar start record-wise for this club, and a lot of guys kind of struggling, it would show on paper, I still don't think that that's an accurate representation of what this team is or what they can be by the time that they start playing out the string throughout the summer. So as we talked about the Braves offense and some of the unlucky that it's had, the Braves pitching staff, meanwhile, has had a lot of difficulties with opposing offenses. And I think for a variety of reasons, there are some guys struggling. And Gabe, as you mentioned, there have been some injuries as well. And while I was looking at all those stats for how well things are going for the Braves hitters, you would think, only to find out that the stats don't match. Well, the Atlanta pitching staff has been routinely bottom 10 when it comes to dealing with opposing offenses on all those baseball savant uh, stats. And, of course, when it comes to most runs scored on a given night, they've kind of been toward the bottom there too. But we found out on Friday more injury issues for the Braves. They've already lost Max Free to the injured list with a strained hamstring. He suffered running the bases. That's not ideal. Of course, we talked about the setback of Mike Soroka, who now we don't know what that timetable is. And on Friday, prior to starting a series against the Chicago Cubs, Drew Smiley has landed on the 10-day injured list. And so while Brian Snitker's hoping it may be short-term for both Smiley and, of course, for Max Freed, 
Gabe, this is starting to feel a little bit like 2020 in some ways, despite the fact the Braves added some depth. They're getting tested in that starting rotation again, and it seems like this is going to be maybe an uphill climb for a minute as the Braves try to right the ship. No pun intended because it's Kyle Wright who's the first one up from the minor leagues to try to hold the line in the Braves rotation. Yeah, there's a little 2020 feel to it, which nobody wants. Um, I am more concerned about the rotation than the offense, obviously, but sure. we'll see if it is one start for these guys. If it is, maybe they come back, and maybe, quite frankly, the mental break might be nice for Freed. Yeah. After the last two outings he had, I, I don't think there's any harm there. I mean, you just hope that the team is right and that they do wind up, you know, each of them just miss one start and come back and maybe they feel a little refreshed and they can just kind of, you know, have a little bit of a reboot, which I think would really help Freed specifically. But also the team said that, you know, Chris Martin wouldn't need a stint on the IL and he's on the IL. And as of Friday morning, he hasn't resumed throwing. Right. So we'll see kind of how this goes before we kind of rate our level of concern here. But obviously you've got, you know, Mike Soroka's out longer after you were hoping that you would have him in late April. You know, now Freed is down, and, and before he went down, he was obviously not right. There were issues there that, you know, again, long season, so not going to panic. I thought Freed was going to have a really big year. Still time for him to do just that. Mm -hmm. So we'll see, you know, how he looks when he gets back. And then Smiley, who he's a guy with an injury history. I mean, he missed over a month last season with a strain in his left index finger. So, I mean, he has a long list of injuries. So I think that even when you sign him, you're doing so very well aware that he, that the odds are pretty heavy that he's going to wind up on the IL. And if this is his only IL stint, then great. But the team does have the depth to cover it. A good opportunity here for Kyle Wright Friday afternoon. Um, you would assume we're going to see Bryce Wilson soon. So it's a good opportunity for those guys to maybe – earn a longer look and at least, you know, help this team. But certainly this is not where you want the rotation to be, but it is early. And, and right now it seems nothing is overly serious to really concern you. Yeah. And it always seems to be kind of a day-to-day -day thing was how the Max Freed hamstring situation has been described. And we'll kind of find out with Drew Smiley. It sounded like from Brian Snitker that if this had been later in the season and they needed him to pitch, that this would have been something that he might've just gotten some treatment and dealt with. But you don't necessarily want to force it with the same sense of urgency in April, I don't feel like, as you might if you wanted somebody to go try to maybe fight through an injury later in the season. At least that seems to be the traditional thinking. Maybe that's at play here. Maybe it's nothing major, and just skipping a start will be just what the doctor ordered, so to speak. But when we talk about the opportunities that will be afforded because of the absence of Mike Soroka, of course, to start the season, Max Fried and Drew Smiley for whatever that period of time is going to be, uh, I think it underscores the value of the depth that the Braves have in terms of their young pitchers. And we knew that they were going to get some chances this year. And I posted on Twitter Friday morning when we got the smiley news that, look, we knew this depth was going to be tested. And now it's a chance for Kyle Wright on Friday. For Bryce Wilson, I feel assured that he's going to get a spot. Wright was just kind of first in line here because it was his day to throw in Gwinnett. But Huascar Noah is another guy who has shown a ton and a couple of opportunities already this year. We talked about him last week as somebody who could be an impact pitcher. All he did was go out and have the best start of his career since last we spoke. So these are the guys the Braves were going to turn to at some point. I know there were a lot of questions about, did you need Drew Smiley? Was that what you wanted to spend your money on in the offseason? I understand why they spent on him. I also understand why people kind of ask the questions because these young pitchers we've heard so much about, the only way that they're going to establish themselves in a big league rotation 
is, of course, by pitching in a big league rotation. So I threw a lot kind of out there and what I've been thinking about it, Gabe, but uh, what's your read on the opportunity that these guys are going to get and what critical roles they could play, whether it's Wright or Wilson or Enoa or all three, it seems like this is where the Braves are going to need some guys to step up and, to use that phrase again, hold the line in that starting rotation. Well, it's important for all of them to make the most of the chances they do get, especially Wright and Wilson, who, you know, they've been around a little while now. Wilson is younger than you would think he is, and he hasn't had as many games in the majors as you would think he is. So still a lot left to see there. But starting with Anoa, I mean, he's been absolutely fantastic. And he's a guy who, whatever they need him to do, he'll be available for the rotation and bullpen. So I just, you know, again, it's an example of how guys develop differently. Kyle Wright was a fifth overall pick. You know, some people thought he could be a frontline guy. He still might be. But just how quickly it has come for Anoa, and we'll see how he's able to sustain it. But he had several moments last year, and now we're, we're going, you know, a 10 strikeout game. Yeah. And he just seems to have really, really, um, no during my interview with Alex Anthopoulos, I mean, he singled out Anoa as a guy who seems like he had made a jump in spring. So if this is sustainable, that's going to be a huge development for them. And with Wright and Wilson, it would behoove the franchise just to look at these guys as much as they can so that. Next winter, you know what you have, and you're not necessarily in a rush to go out and overpay a guy like Drew Smiley because, and I understand why they did that. After the disastrous rotation run that mm-hmm. they had last year, you need to go out. You wanted to add two guys. I mean, he made it clear. Absolutely. That they basically, yeah, I, they wanted to add two guys. They had three guys on their list. They got two of them. They made those additions, and I completely understand it, but they did, like, <laughs> I don't know how many teams were banging down the door to pay Drew Smiley $11 million. So did they pay a little more to get that done sooner? We can't say, but obviously a little bit of an overpay there. So you want to look at this next winter and say, can we finally turn over one of these spots to an Anoa, a Wilson, a Wright? Can one of these guys establish themselves? And that would be huge for this team, just given the financial circumstances that they're into. It's one less need. So that's going to be really big for the future of this team, but also this team is trying to win right now. So you just need these guys to cover innings. You need these guys to be acceptable. Great opportunities for them. Uh, and obviously <laughs> it benefits the team in, in the now and in the later if these guys can perform and make the most of it. It definitely does. And to go back to what you were saying about adding to the rotation, given what they saw in 2020, While you always wanted to count on the return of Mike Soroka, we've kind of seen what we were afraid of, which was a setback of some sort that has kept him from not only being ready on opening day, but perhaps not being ready until some point in May. We don't really know when that's going to be. There's not a timetable for his return at the moment, which doesn't mean that there can't be a timetable a week from now, two weeks from now, where we start finding out what's going to happen. But as we talked about last week, at this point with minor league season less than three weeks away, I think the responsible thing to do with Mike Soroka is to perhaps get him into some actual games and rehab starts and, you know, go the traditional route with that. At least that's what my read would be on that situation. But it depends on how he's feeling, how the trainers and the medical staff look at it, what he gets cleared to do. And of course, when he's ready to start ramping back up again, because with a shoulder ailment, unlike the Achilles, which was what had him down for so long, you're going to have to go through a separate set of protocols to feel like, okay, I've cleared all those hurdles. I'm good to throw. I can let loose and not have to spend a lot of time worrying about it. And they certainly don't want to rush him. So as you go back and look at the winter again, even with hindsight on our side, I 
The $11 million for Drew Smiley was a curious move, but the Braves seemed to be, and Alex Antopoulos seemed to be very convicted about that move and about making it. And looking at the sample sizes and the numbers that he showed with San Francisco last year, I, like you, can understand what was attractive about that. $11 million, again, it's not my money. I didn't make that decision. I don't know that it's a decision I would have made, but I would be curious to know what the market was for Drew Smiley beyond the Braves. And I think that's something that we've talked about as well. But to just underscore what was happening last winter and what we're seeing happen now, I think it would have been irresponsible for the Braves to not go out and sign a couple of starters. And I'm talking about veteran starters. You get one in Charlie Morton that's more of a known commodity. You get one that you're hoping to buy on upside in Drew Smiley that can fortify that rotation, bring another left-handed arm in there. These were the kind of moves the Braves needed to make, especially in the case of Morton. Drew Smiley, I guess we can debate, and there were some other starters out there, but Gabe, Alex Antopoulos had to add a couple of veteran arms, in, in my mind, even with a couple of younger guys waiting in the wings, because I think he knew at some point the plan is going to, there's going to be a detour. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be things we're going to have to overcome. And now we're already seeing that two weeks into this season. Absolutely. I, you completely agree with the process of it, um, adding two pitchers, and you could argue they didn't necessarily need the uh, second one because of their depth, but they were reacting to what just happened. There were a lot of uncertainty. Soroka's an uncertainty. They didn't know what would happen with Wilson and Wright. You know, they could try banking on one of those guys and start the year, and, you know, Wright looks like he did at the beginning of last year. So, so I agree they needed two guys. Now, what you can debate is, should it have been Drew Smiley? Couldn't you have gotten a guy cheaper? Well, some of these guys, you know, Mike Miner got paid well. The Giants were compelled to give a qualifying offer to uh, old friend Kevin Gosman, right. which is a lot of money for him, and we know what he provides. So perhaps he would have been paid handsomely if he had not taken that. So, right. yeah, I mean, again, it's hard to say. We're not in the room, but it certainly feels like would this team have been better off if they went cheaper for – if you. Uh, they signed Smiley first, but if you get Morton and you go a little cheaper, maybe you have the money to keep an Adam Duvall right. or add another guy to your bench or add another reliever or whatever it is you want to do with that money. But you kind of burn some flexibility in giving mm-hmm. that to Smiley, whereas you could have gone with a more financial-friendly option. So, yeah, I mean, we can debate that all day um, as far as if it was the right move or not. We, we won't know really until the season ends. and where Smiley, Right now, Smiley is – he has a near six ERA and he's hurt. So yeah. obviously the move does not look very good right now. But I think you summed up the Soroka stuff really well. Um, you're not going to rush him back. Mm-mm. You're going to be as patient as possible. You don't want to do anything to risk him long term. You want him healthy and back on track next season to start normal and just have a normal year. Will he be, you know, if you have to wait for him to rejoin your rotation in June, you know, that's fine. Right, You just want to get him up to speed this year, um, get him back out there, get him pitching again, and hopefully uh, he's hitting his stride and the postseason rolls around and you've got the old Mike Soroka back, yeah. right? And you, you're able yep. to have him in your rotation. And then after the season, things are normal for him again, and he's set, he's set up to have a really long, nice career. So you just don't want to do anything that uh, that hurts him not only – uh, for this season, but just moving forward. Yeah, it's trying to manage the short-term goals and then, of course, the long-term goals that the club's going to have. And that's the job for the GM. I mean, that there's no two ways about that. And it's one that it will draw a lot of criticism depending on the kind of moves you make. And some of that criticism is going to be justified based on bigger sample sizes. 
Some of it is going to be, hey, we had a really awful week and I want a better GM. And that's what people are going to go to social media with. And all of that's okay. That's part of being a fan. That's part of uh, going along on the ride for a lot of folks. But from a long-term perspective of the 162 games, I don't think that the 2021 Braves have peaked yet. The hope is, of course, at some point this season they will peak. And in order to do so, they're going to have to get over some of these injuries. They're going to have to find some people that can fill some gaps for a while and then you know, hope that you can get a guy like Mike Soroka back and then figure out what you might be looking for by the time the trade deadline gets here in about three and a half months. So we'll table that discussion for the time being. And I have to circle back, unfortunately, to injury again and a name that you brought up, which was Adam Duvall and the fact that the Braves chose not to bring him back. And I think it was 100% a financially motivated decision with Duvall. I know he didn't take a big deal when he joined the Marlins. He had a projected arbitration number of, I believe, $7 million or so. dollars. He did sign a one-year $5 million deal with the Miami Marlins. Now, of course, we got to watch firsthand as Adam Duvall seemed to just enjoy dismantling his old teammates and uh, really terrorized the Braves pitching staff. And we'd seen Adam Duvall go on a tear like that. We've also seen that defensively speaking, uh, he's a credit to your outfield. He's a great teammate. Guys loved playing with him. And I think that he really turned his time in Atlanta into what could have been a forgettable stop on the way out of Major League Baseball to figuring out a way to work himself back into a very useful player and clearly the Marlins thought so as well. But I think it was a money thing. And the Braves have already got about $8, 9000000 million sunk in Enderenciarte that they're trying to figure out a way to get something out of that. You know, I, I can understand why they didn't spend the money on Duvall. And clearly the finances after the pandemic are probably more of a factor in this kind of decision than maybe the club lets on. And it seems kind of obvious, but you're right. When you start to look at where the money was spent over the winter, Drew Smiley, I feel like, or somebody was necessary for the rotation. But at the expense of some of the other things, these are the roster construction questions that are fair to ask over the course of a season as the weaknesses of a team start to get exposed. And losing Christian Pache to the injured list was not a thing the Braves were, I think, either anticipating or particularly well prepared for in that you had to turn to Ender Enciarte or you had to move Ronald Acuna Jr. back to center. But even if you do, you're still missing a bat like Duvall that you can plug in. It hurts them from that standpoint, and it just hurts them from Pache's development standpoint, right? Uh, this, right. this is obviously a, a young guy that you want in there, and you want getting that experience and those at-bats. And we know offensively he's a little behind, and we're really wanting to see kind of what he can provide there and how he grows and makes strides. And the Braves knew going into this thing, he's going to be our starting center fielder. We're going to have to be patient. Yeah, You know, it's unfortunate for them that, they can't be you can't right. be well, patient with him when he's not out. There. Not only that, but let me ask you this: even assuming a healthy Pache, I mean, you're assuming by be patient, you mean for longer than a couple of weeks, which he didn't hit a whole lot thus far. But I think a lot of times people are ready to kind of hit that panic switch when you start to look at the early season numbers when they're particularly low in the case of Pache. But I think you're right. I think we knew you're going to have to have patience with him at the plate because it's his glove that really has carried him throughout the minors and put him in center field for the Braves on opening day. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this can only go on for so long, but there were signs he was just off on some balls. I think sure. there's a couple balls that, you know, he could have had a home run there. He's going to run into some as that power just uh -huh. continues developing. And it's the same story that we saw in the NLCS with him. There were some really encouraging at-bats. And, again, without the production, this can only last for so long before the team has to start evaluating, you know, what do we need to do here? Do we need to send this guy down? It's just – but – it's just it's hard to do that you know you need to see more of him and certainly no one should panic over him I mean again mm -hmm. we already knew 
the offense was behind. It's early in the season. He's trying to get used to all this. Um, so there, there's certainly no reason to overreact there. It's just unfortunate that it's a little step back from an evaluation standpoint as to what you have here because there's not there's nothing to evaluate with Ender. They just know what they have there. Yeah, and that it contract, is what it is. Yeah, that contract, this was the year it really hurt them. That was money that really would have uh, would have helped them a lot if it was, again, if it's retaining Duvall, if it's paying one of these relievers or whatever it is you're doing with it. Um, yeah. Certainly, that money, that money, because I mean, there's no doubt he would not be here if that contract wasn't uh, keeping him here. So, so you know, they're going to see what they can get out of him for now while Pache's out. And it sounded encouraged that uh, he should be back when his time is up. So, but yeah, it's just unfortunate for him because you just want to keep seeing more of him and see uh, just you know this is a good opportunity for fans to just watch a player and you know we you know media and fans we've all done this over the last few years just watch a guy and just see how he continues to grow and i think once Pache is in his prime it's going to be it's going to be cool to kind of look back and see like here he, here he was he was you know four for 30 or whatever to start the mm-hmm. uh, 21 season he gets hurt you know he comes back he had some good at bats results still weren't there and just to see how this really winds up developing i think is really rewarding just yeah. from a viewer standpoint, too. No, I agree with that. And I also think that you know there are going to be some times, I, I would anticipate, not just this year but in the future, that we're going to say, oh, you remember the Christian Pache game where he made the home run saving catch and then had the game-winning hit, or whatever it might be, however that looks. I mean, I don't know what this is going to be, and I don't think it's just going too far out on a limb to say that. I mean, this is a special player that they believe is a building block for both the short-term and the long-term of this club, and they showed that and rewarded that by giving him – that center field job, which I feel like he rewarded them by, you know, really stepping in in the NLCS and and filling a gap that was very, very difficult for a player with, what, four career plate appearances prior to that to jump into. So there's a lot to like about him. I don't think the lights are too bright for him. I don't think that it's something that he's not going to be able to figure out, but he's got to be on the field to do it. And without him, to circle back to Ender Enciarte again, it's not to pick on him, but it just is what it is at this point. We know this contract has been a bit of a hindrance for the Braves in years past. I think you're right about that, Gabe. I think it really kind of looms large this year when you've got to pay him $8 million, another million I think is tied up in a buyout of an option for next year. It's just not ideal. And when you're trying to make your money go as far as it can, in the case of the Braves or any other club that might have been reassessing their payroll after losing out on all the profits of the 2020 season, this is the kind of stuff that really it looms large. And it certainly is this year when it comes to NCRT. So when I look at the Smiley deal, I guess I say you had to go out and get somebody. Maybe it was an overpay, but I look at the NCRT contract as being perhaps a bigger stumbling block for whatever Alex Anthopoulos would like to have done over the winter that might have gone above and beyond that. So that's kind of what's going on in terms of the Braves' injuries and the things that have been really slowing this club down in the first couple of weeks of the season and things that you hope over the course of 162, and I think we know over the course of 162, are going to change. There'll be some high tides and some low tides throughout it, Uh, Let me switch the topic to the bullpen and just ask you a question. I mean, should we be stressed out about this bullpen? Because I think the answer is kind of because it's been a little bit wonky. But what's been your read on the Braves' bullpen? Not having Chris Martin, that's a big problem for the Braves. But I think we're finding out that this bullpen might have a couple of spots that could use addressing at some point in the 2021 season. Yeah, performance-wise, we're we're covering every area of the team. We said we're not really – concerned about the offense at all it's just a matter of waiting for the production to come there right the rotation the injuries are certainly a concern 
some underperformance, but it's early. You have to give those t- things time to be sorted out. The bullpen is the biggest concern. I think you look at this group, um, it's not what it was last year. Uh, it's, it's, it's just it's not you're missing three guys who are really, you know, three former all-stars, veteran, important veteran guys who are not in with this group. And you're seeing these last two outings, A.J. Minter has struggled mightily. You know, he issued three walks, and then he blows the save yesterday. Yeah. He's better than that. Honestly, I thought we were past the point of him, you know, having these walk problems. But I want to see more of him, but uh, just give him time. Uh, he was good in spring. Obviously, he had that breakout year last year where he kind of rediscovered himself. So, that, again, that's another thing. You just want to give it some time. And then Will Smith. He has not been great. He has not been dominant by any stretch. It's kind of been up and down with him. So, and Chris Martin, he's, I mean, he's got to, he's got to be healthy. He's, he's the best guy in this bullpen. Um, They just, they need him desperately. So you look up and down this group, you know, Josh Tomlin is who he is. Mm -hmm. We, We know what he's going to provide. Sean Newcomb could really swing this conversation. Yeah, We've talked about him before. He could really kind of swing this conversation if he really finds himself as that angry reliever again that we discussed last time. So there are things that are going to change here. The bullpens are always fluid, but right now you're looking at a group where there's there are several concerns, and you already know that you're down three guys who were pretty important last year. So we'll see. We'll give this time to play out. But right now I would say, we look ahead to the trade deadline, you know, I don't think there's any doubt yeah. the Braves be in the reliever market. Yeah, I think they will be. They have to be. And as I look through there, you did a nice job of covering some of the bigger names. But, of course, with Tyler Matzak, you've gotten everything you could possibly ask for him. He is, once again, sure. a big piece of this Braves bullpen, the success they're going to have. I do think A.J. Mentor is better than his last couple of outings. He's been used an awful lot. But then again, a lot of the Braves' best relievers have been used seven times in the first 13 games in the case of Smith, Matt, Zach, and Minter. Nate Jones has been a little bit underwhelming, would be nice about it. Luke Jackson has kind of been the Luke Jackson experience. He's got five walks in his first four and a third innings. We knew we'd see Jacob Webb. He had to come up when Martin went down. But a curious aspect of this Braves' bullpen to me is they want to carry this big pitching staff, and they have been carrying this big pitching staff at the expense of the bench being one man short, but they've had Grant Dayton in this bullpen for two weeks and used him twice. So I'm not really sure that I understand what the point is of having Grant Dayton around in the big league bullpen right now, contract notwithstanding. I mean, have you been able to make any sense of that? Because it just seems like a weird decision to make to have a guy out there that you barely, if ever, use, and then some other guys, not that you're going to make Grant Dayton into a high-leverage reliever, but two times in two weeks just seems like that's not really worth having when you could use another pinch hitter, another bat, or perhaps another option off the bench that could otherwise help the Braves in a different way. No, that is curious, and that's a guy, you know, you tender the contract and you, you bring him into camp and, you, and he's got his guaranteed money now and he's been on the team. You're not. So, yeah, that, I mean, that is curious. I don't really have an answer for you sure. there. With all these guys, again, like you did, like Tyler Matzak, he's really been a godsend for them, uh, just finding him and now to have him in the role that they have him in. I do think that the two guys who could really swing the outlook of this bullpen right now are Webb and Newcomb. Mm-hmm. I keep coming back to them, and like we know we have seen both of them before produce and produce at a high level. And if those two guys can come in, figure it out, and they're pitching to what we know they can, then this bullpen looks a lot better than it does right now. But there are a lot of questions, and you know, carrying Grant Dayton and barely using him is one of them. But, uh, you know, <laughs> we're a little less concerned about that because I, I don't really expect Grant Dayton to be here. Right. 
through the entirety of the season. You know, I'm certainly more concerned with is Mentor going to get this right? You know, what the Will Smith thing has been kind of a wild ride. You know, there's been some great outings and there's been some what, what on earth is going on here, uh, which is not what you want out of your highly paid former all-star reliever. So no. that's a pretty big thing. And there's just there's a lot of question marks here. But Chris Martin had been the, you know, he was the consistent guy. He was Mr. Mm-hmm. Reliable. So it, it's crucial that they have him back and that he can stay healthy because without him, this group is all over the place. Well, as I look through this bullpen, I know, again, we talked about all those underlying numbers and analytics that told you the Braves offense should be better than it is. Well, I'm looking at some for the Braves pitching staff, particularly in the case of you know Will Smith. Uh, his fielding independent pitching is 1.63, his ERA, 4.5. Or should we be talking about ERA after six innings? Well, of course not. It's a silly thing to look at. But he's only allowed seven base runners. So it's not like you know folks are running wild on him in that regard. And a couple of walks, four hits, one hit batsman as well. But it's not like there's runners all over the place. But already a couple of losses for him, a couple of saves as well. And you look at the Braves' starting rotation – Fielding independent pitching on Charlie Morton is nearly, it's over two runs lower than his ERA is. And again, ERA, pitcher wins, things like that. You look at them and you just take them for what they are, which is one small indicator or one small piece of a larger puzzle when you're starting to figure out what you're getting out of a pitching staff. But it's kind of a mixed bag right now. You're definitely right. Sean Newcomb has been just ridiculous with 11 strikeouts in four and a third innings to his first four appearances. I think that Sean may have a story to tell this year and it might be a particularly good one that Braves fans will be very happy to see if he continues to pitch the way that he has, like his hair's on fire when he goes out there and the Braves have given him the opportunity. He has run with it thus far, and we'll see what other moves need to be made. We know that Carl Edwards Jr. is also down in the minor league, so if this Nate Jones thing doesn't work out for a while, you can take out one veteran piece and maybe plug in another one, see what you can get there. And I do want to see what Jacob Webb can do over a longer period of time, and I certainly want to see Chris Martin jump back in the mix sooner than later as well. So there's a, a lot of different moving parts in the Braves bullpen. I was just curious why you carry this big old pitching staff and then somehow Grant Dayton is there, but he's not really being used. And it seems like the Braves could use an extra bat or two off the bench. With that in mind, I'd be remiss before we get out of here if I didn't ask you, Pablo Sandoval. Um, what's gotten into this guy and exactly how clutch is he? Because I knew the legend of Pablo Sandoval when it came to October and the San Francisco Giants, but the legend he's building in the month of April with the Atlanta Braves is a pretty darn good one, too. Yeah, he's playing his way into another mega deal with the Red Sox, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, he, uh, he's he been, uh, oh my gosh, he's been fantastic. Yeah. I mean, he's about setting pinch hit records Yep. Uh, through 13 games. It looks like he'll probably hold the record, the Braves franchise record for it. I mean, he's you know, it's funny. We, we were talking about, we were concerned about this bench. We were concerned about the power off the bench. Obviously, Alex Jackson has some power, but we haven't really seen it in games because of his struggles making contact. But we talk so much about they need some more power off the bench. They don't have that. And here comes Pablo on opening day. Yep. He shows it. And now, you know, the 13th game, he's still showing it. I've seen people tweeting about what ready to give him starts at third base and everything. Too, yeah. And, yeah, we're not going there. No. Um, he's in a role that's perfect for him. I think this is what you have him here for. I don't think you need to expand it at all. Don't try to fix what's not broken. So it's yeah, he's been great for them. Uh, it was a great pickup. Everyone seems to love him in the clubhouse. It seems like he fits right in the championship pedigree. I mean, you, when you can throw three rings on the table, mm-hmm. that gives you some credibility that not many individuals in any sport have throughout the history of time. So. 
for him to have that, for him to be the clutch performer he is, he could be a guy that really comes up big for this team. And he's, I mean, he is exactly what this team needed. I mean, exactly. And we'll see if it lasts. But right now, he has been everything they could have ever imagined he'd be. Yeah, and he's a guy that wanted to come back and be here, and that's what he communicated to his agents over the offseason, and here he is. And it's a reserve role, and I know it's been very exciting, and those highlights are huge, but I think you're on to something with, look, this is a, a nice weapon you've got off the bench. Don't overexpose it by trying to fix something that's not broken. And on the flip side of that coin, or really the heads side of that coin, if you want to call it that, is Austin Riley. We're two weeks into the season. If that's the longest leash that you've got for a guy that – really hasn't gotten a good run at third base unbothered by either injury or being shuffled in and out of the lineup if you're just not going to find out what you got for a guy who, by the way, hasn't even played 150 games in the big leagues yet, then you know that kind of patience typically is not going to pay off with a lot of your player development. I know it's tough to watch guys take their lumps, and it's really tough to watch it if you already know that Christian Pache is doing it. You want to see Riley turn the corner. I've known Austin for four or five years now. I think he's an incredibly hardworking player. And I think giving him the opportunity to figure that out at the age of 24 is not really asking too much. If you get to the trade deadline and things just haven't been working or sometime before that, you feel like you got to make a change, that's fine. But in-house, you're talking about Johan Camargo, who's being shuttled between Gwinnett and Atlanta on a regular basis the past couple of years. You've got Pablo Sandoval, who at this point, I think we all know, is a nice reserve pinch hitter player that you might you know, throw out there for a start in a doubleheader. And you've got A. Ray Adrianza, who is a nice reserve backup infielder. So none of those three, to me, say that I need to put the potential of the future at third base on the bench so that these guys can take those at-bats and that opportunity away from Austin Riley. I've, I've seen the same things you have, and I know that you can look at the overall numbers and, and draw a conclusion if you want to. I'm just not ready to go there with Austin Riley yet. I think he has too much potential. You nailed it. I mean, that's the bottom line. We've talked a lot about patience and player development over the last hour or so. And I, I, this is a situation, I mean, maybe it turns out that you wind up trying to go get a guy at the trade deadline. Maybe by the end of the season, you have your answer and you just deem that Riley is just, he's just not good enough. Whatever you come to, you're not making that determination right now. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who was a pretty highly regarded prospect. You know, he's been, and the 60-game season was the 60-game season, right? Now yeah. we're back to 162. Let him take his lumps. Let him have his hot and cold streaks. See what you have here. You have to get a bigger sample size of this. You have to get this big. He might not be your guy. Uh, right. He might not. We'll see. I don't have any take on that right now. I'll just say that the best thing for the health of the franchise in every single way, financially, player development, everything, is just to – roll with him and see what you have. And if things aren't working out of the trade deadline and you have a team that you think is maybe needs that one final guy to, mm -hmm. you know, push you over LA, San Diego, whoever, then, then we'll talk about it then. But for right now, I mean, gosh, like you just said, it's been two weeks. I know that he's off to a bad start. Um, I know that we've seen him struggle before, but you just, it, there comes a point that you just have to kind of ride with the guy and see what you have. Yeah. I mean, if you want the answer to the question, then you're going to have to wait long enough for, in this case, Austin Riley, to actually answer the question. So we'll see how that whole thing plays out. A lot of baseball left to be played, and I did think that was curious, and I appreciate you bringing that up because we see a lot of you know different things that come out of the frustration of losing, and I know fans aren't enjoying it at any time of the year, let alone when you come out of the gates and kind of stumble. Everybody's kind of looking to see, okay, what's broken? What's not working? Who's not hitting? Who's not pitching well? What's happening right now? And there's a lot of that going on for the Braves, and it's a part of a bigger puzzle, a mosaic, if you will, not just one guy. 
that's uh, created the downward trend, if you will, for the Atlanta Braves in the early going. I think they've been a very unlucky team. I think they've lost a couple of close games. I think we've had to deal with the extra inning base runner in a not-so-fun way a couple times, and I'm ready to see that go away forever. But that's neither here nor there. But it does bring me to my final point, Gabe, and I have one question written down on my paper, and I'm going to ask you as directly as I can. Gabe, I have to know, why is MLB replay so damn bad? <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, it's <sighs> a joke. It's an embarrassment. Uh, it's just it's everything negative you can describe it. It yeah. is. We're a G podcast here, but it's just, it's terrible. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just it doesn't have any credibility. You know, I think it'd be good to see, give fans a look at how this process is done. Maybe some of these conversations that are going on in New York. Uh, I know that uh, pl- several players, Snit, people, have, a lot of fans have mentioned they right. shouldn't know the call on the field. Quite frankly, that seems very logical. <laughs> For them to have kind of not even done that is telling in and of itself. Yeah. It's just it's another example of how kind of backwards this operation has been under Manfred. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to get this right. I think they I think they can get it right. That doesn't mean they will. But I think there are a lot of good ideas out there. A lot of people have proposed like really good ideas that I think would be worth trying while they're, you know, they're looking at double hook DHs and stuff. I mean, I think this stuff is And moving the pitcher's mound. Yeah, I mean, they're looking at all this kind of crap. Like, I would just really like to see it changed. Uh, It's just, it's a bad look for the sport. I think officiating is obviously a hot topic in every single sport, but there is just more clarity, regardless of what you think. I think that the NBA ref deal is, is really bad, but there is more clarity there. The NFL, even um, we, you know, we might not know what a catch is, but for a lot of this stuff, there is clarity. <laughs> and then with MLB, there just isn't, and it's a problem. It's it's horrible for the sport. And I'm actually glad if that was going to happen, that it happened on Sunday Night Baseball on oh, yeah. ESPN, because it would have been I don't want to say brushed under the rug, because it still would have made waves. But the fact that it was it happened to a national audience mm-hmm. on that platform, and it was two teams that have really big fan bases yeah. and who were involved and whatnot and two rivals and kind of a high, higher profile game than if it was, you know, the, the Indians and the Royals or something. So no, to kind of throw in ahead. on that as well. I mean, if that replay had happened on Thursday afternoon between the Braves and the Marlins, yeah, if people would have seen it and would have been like, can you believe it? It would have made the rounds on Twitter. And I'm sure that John Boy would have done a breakdown of it just like he did for the one on Sunday night baseball. And I've found this to be, Really fascinating because I had to do some digging and kind of ask around because there's a lot of MLB's replay is really shrouded in in mystery as well because you always would hear people say, well, maybe they didn't have the same angles we had. And and my question to that is, well, why the hell not? Why would they not have the same angles that we had? That seems ridiculous. If anything, they should have more angles. And if they have more angles, we should see those angles. And so that was the first thing I kind of wanted to put in one box. So they've got the same angles we get on TV is the answer that I got back from the digging that I was doing. The other question I have, and you brought this up pretty much immediately in terms of the call on the field, not having the reviewer know it. I've got a a question that is built into the language of the replay itself. Why does the call on the field have any bearing whatsoever on what the replay reviewer is doing? And how do you figure out a way to, if it goes to replay, then all right, we've made this call, and now replay is supposed to either fix or confirm that what happened was correct at the very least. 
But it's not really being allowed to do that if you put a bunch of murky language in there that essentially amounts to what everyone's major complaint is, umpires reviewing plays, being afraid to overrule umpires on the field, who, by the way, I'm not upset about them missing a call. I'm upset when it goes to replay and the missed call is upheld because that's just the way that I feel like they're thinking. And that, to me, is the major flaw in replay. And maybe I'm misinterpreting that. I'd love to hear your take on on that. But I just don't know why the original call even matters once it goes to replay. Well, it should, and that's part of the problem. Uh, that's that's not really, you know, like football does the thing. You know, is there can they overturn this? Is there right. have to see was his was his knee down or whatever? That I understand. Uh, in baseball, it just doesn't make any sense. Like the statement after the game from MLB about we viewed all the angles and there was not enough evidence, inconclusive evidence, whatever it is that they say, you know, all these words that mean nothing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Word salad. Um, that means not, those are empty words. That means nothing. We know nothing about the process. Like, I mean, a camera in the room to record these and just see how this is figured out, to see the angles that they are looking at, to see the conversations that go on. Mm-hmm. I think that level of transparency is needed, right? Yeah. Immediately. Uh, just, Immediately. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that would benefit the sport a ton, and that I guarantee you that that would stop a lot of these issues. And I like, I think it was the a day after the Braves won a replay call, getting a Alex oh. Jackson throughout a Marlin, and a lot, I know a lot of people said that that wasn't even the right call either. I agree. Yeah, I don't remember. It was close. I don't really remember that one as well. But it's just it feels like it's an every night, you know, thing. that was a high profile example, and that's why I'm glad. I'm actually in some ways was glad it happened just to draw attention to it. You know, it's unfortunate, obviously that the Braves were screwed by it, but <laughs> just the fact that it happened and it really just sparked a big, you know, it was sports center, uh, social, you had all these people, all these in sports media chiming in who, you know, don't necessarily always talk about baseball as much. And they're, they're chiming in. There was just a huge wave and it was all negative, which, yeah. you know, is that is, which is a good thing because that can force change. Yeah, it can, but I wish that people weren't having to negatively discuss Major League Baseball, which has been really difficult under Rob Manfred. And I know that Bud Selig, obviously, there was a whole bunch that we could unpack on him over a series of podcasts for the next few years that people found questionable or not so great as well, including, I'm sure, myself and your own gripes about it. But, you know, with this replay thing and with the negative feedback that you got from it and with a lot of trying to figure out exactly what are they doing in that room up there, how did they not see what everybody else saw – if you go back to John Boy, he put out the replay that had three different angles of Alec Bohm's foot. And none of them by themselves would you be able to say for 100% certainty, based on Major League Baseball's rules apparently, that his foot didn't touch the plate. But when you put all three of them on the screen at the same time, the three angles easily confirm the fact that he never touched the plate. And he was quick to point out in that video, hey, Major League Baseball has this technology too. They clearly did this. They could clearly look at this. And when you're sitting there for four and a half or five minutes waiting for a replay review decision to come back, that doesn't seem to be helping baseball either in the old pace of play department, which is all we hear about when it comes to the new things we're going to change in the game and try in the game. And now we want to avoid marathon extra inning games. So we're going to do this runner at second to start the inning business. We're already doing seven-inning doubleheaders, which I can get behind that. If I have to, that's fine. But there just seem to be a lot of the decisions made that don't really line up. They don't really seem to go well together. And that is a larger-scale problem for baseball. And 
while I think you're right, it has to happen for somebody to realize it's got to change, I just hate seeing it happen as much as it does because it seems like a detriment and not really a help. I'm not ready to throw replay overboard, but, man, every time it goes to replay, it's just I just feel this here-we-go-again coming on, and it's not very much fun. That That's the exact feeling, and, that, and that's a shame because it should be a great thing for the sport. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't want it to begin with, I was fine with it, mm-hmm. uh, but not like this. Not if you're going to just, you know, it's like Travis Darno said. He's like, well, you s- slowed the game down five minutes and you still got it wrong, so I'd rather just not have it. <laughs> and he's right. Oh, yeah, and he's I, right. I like, uh, yeah. they're, you know, again, like, if they didn't know the call on the field, I don't think there's anything they would have seen that would have led them to say he was safe. So I think he's that's right. really, you can kind of draw a bottom line there. Say, so, well, yeah. if they didn't know he was called safe, there's no way they would have said he was safe. So that, that just really... I mean, to kind of bring us back full circle mm-hmm. here, I mean, that's the first obvious um, change that you would make to it. Well, let's hope they make some kind of change to it, and let's hope it happens sooner than later. And they can certainly put it on the list of things to do, well above moving the pitching mound back, making the bases <laughs> double the size, and some of the other silliness they're doing. They can put robot yeah. umpires up near the top when it comes to the strike zone. I would like to see that tried out. But some of this other stuff, that the, the initiatives that are being put into place, I don't get. And we haven't even gotten into – what kind of changes are these guys making to the baseball every year? There's all kinds of stuff that's just going on in the background that I just look at, and every time I hear the name Rob Manfred, I just immediately just I roll my eyes and think, well, the here-we-go-again thing is just something that seems to be pervasive throughout Rob Manfred's Major League Baseball over the past five, six years, whatever it's been. But anyway, Gabe, I don't want to spend all day, all afternoon, all weekend, whatever it is, talking about all this stuff, but I did enjoy talking about all the things going on with the Atlanta Braves over the past week. I do think they've got a, a club that's going to figure some stuff out, but there are going to be some challenges that they're going to have to find the answers to, some questions from injury, and, of course, some guys are going to have to start hitting again in the ways that they have shown that they can do throughout the course of their career. You know, A guy like Freddie Freeman, whose name I don't know has come up too much on this podcast, but he's starting to show some signs. I think Marcelo Zuna is going to show some signs. I think this offense is going to score some runs they got to get some healthy arms out there to do the thing. But, Gabe, I appreciate your time as always and look forward to doing this again very, very soon. Absolutely. Always fun. My thanks as always to Gabe Burns for jumping on the show and talking some Braves with us this week. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at GabeBurnsHAC. We always have a good time here on From the Diamond when we're able to get together. And, of course, I want to remind you, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you can find your podcast. Just search for From the Diamond there. The show is also on YouTube. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm easy to find on Twitter, at Grant McCauley, on Instagram, also at Grant McCauley. You can find the show at From the Diamond underscore on Twitter and at From the Diamond with no underscore on Instagram. All the podcasts, the articles, the videos, and anything else I can come up with, you can find that over at FromTheDiamond.com. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode of From the Diamond. As always, I appreciate the time of Gabe Burns to jump on and talk about the Braves. And I appreciate you making From the Diamond part of your baseball podcast regimen. And look forward to doing it all again next week as we talk about the highs and the lows and everything in between for the Atlanta Braves each and every week here on the show. Before Gabe Burns, I'm Grant McCauley. We will catch you next time on From the Diamond. So long, everyone.